0: offer just a brief word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for uh, this time where we're able to look now into your word. Help us to see what we need to. Help us to understand this passage a little bit better. Help us to put some of these things in context a little better and understand uh, what Christ was teaching. Help us to see him better so that we may know you we pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the, well, the third and the fourth of the seven I am statements in John occur in John chapter 10. I am the door in verses 7 and 9, and I am the good shepherd in verse 11. But most of chapter 10 is actually coming in the context of chapter nine. So as we be, now we're going to, I'm gonna split these up. We're not gonna deal with both. Uh, I am the door and I am the good shepherd here. We're going to split these up. Um, and next time we do uh, the I am's, we'll be back, at, back in John 10, looking at I am the good shepherd. We're just gonna focus on his statement of I am the door this morning. But let's put some things back into context and where we are in this process in, in John. So a little bit of context of John chapter 9. Jesus healed a beg- beggar blind from birth on the Sabbath. When this man was questioned by the religious leaders, this man had little information to give and, and, but wouldn't condemn Jesus, wouldn't call him a sinner or anything else to that effect. They didn't believe that this man was blind from birth, so they called in his parents. They said, yeah, he's our son. Yes, he was blind from birth, but how he got healed, we don't know uh, because they were afraid of being put out or excommunicated from the synagogue, so they directed the Pharisees back to uh, their son. After a second questioning, uh, the man was able to... kind of astounded that you're asking all these questions. You don't know where this guy comes. He's healed me, but you don't know him. Do you want to be his disciples? He said, no, we're Moses' disciples. You're this man's disciples. And with that, they cast him out of the synagogue. After this happens, we pick up in verse 35 of John 9. Jesus finds this man after his expulsion by the Jews. And this was possibly in or near the temple complex in Jerusalem. Jesus asks the man if he believes in the Son of God, or in some versions say the Son of Man. And he responds by asking for the identity. Who is he? Jesus tells him that you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He affirms that it's himself, that he is the Son of Man. This healed man then expresses belief in Jesus and worships him. <coughs> Jesus says following this, that he came to pass judgment on those who don't see, so that those who don't see may see, and that those that see or claim to see will become blind." Uh, Some Pharisees hear this statement and ask if they are blind. Jesus replies that because they say that they see, they are truly blind and are guilty or have sinned. And we see references, similar references to this in like Matthew 9, verse 13, where he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, and And in Mark 4, 10 to 12, he says, But when he was alone... Those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, it has been given a secret to the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they turn and be forgiven. So Jesus tells these Pharisees that if you were blind, you would have been fined, you would be without guilt, but because you see, or at least say, that you have sight, you have guilt. And this is where the discussion in chapter 10 begins. He's still in that conversation, loosely directed at these Pharisees. And we pick up in chapter 10, reading verses one through six. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, and they know, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So here's where we get started. In verses 1 through 6, we see, we see a discussion on shepherds and flocks. Shepherds. And flocks. Jesus opens this section with a proverb or a parable about shepherds, sheep, and thieves. Now, first, we need to understand a little bit of what's going on. He talks about sheepfolds and gatekeepers or doorkeepers. Now, a lot of times, the sheepfolds in ancient Israel were often um, pens or folds that were built outside of towns and villages where sheep were often kept at night, uh, especially if there were multiple shepherds like living in or near the city. They would have a wall that was fairly short uh, with a single opening or end for the entrance. And occasionally, briars or thorn bushes would be placed on top of the wall to prevent thieves and predators from going over. Often, Very often, especially ones near towns or near villages, multiple flocks were kept in the pen. Especially at night, because then in the morning, the shepherds would come and gather their own flocks and take them out to pasture. And if they were maybe traveling through, they stopped for the night, they put their flock there, and they would pick them up in the morning and go on. Often there was a... A hired man, a gatekeeper or doorkeeper that would stay at the pen overnight and guard the sheep, guard the pen from thieves and keep the sheep in. Uh, he was often, especially if there were multiple, there was probably whether they paid him individually for their own sheep or if they just pulled their money and paid the man, he was paid for staying there to watch the sheep overnight the gatekeeper would know the shepherd and would let him in in the morning because shepherds would come to the gate. They would come to the door. Anyone else trying to get in, the the gatekeeper wouldn't know them as part of belonging to the sheep. So they would try to go over the wall and obviously they would have nefarious motives. They would have bad motives for this. They're trying to steal a sheep. In this context, and in this context of the account, Jesus is likely uh, claiming the sheepfold is a reference to Israel and the Jewish faith. We see that a little bit later down in verse 16, where he says, "I" uh, in verse 16, I have other sheep of which are not of this fold. That's likely speaking of Gentile believers. So the sheepfold in this context is likely Israel and the Jewish faith. Jesus is speaking to Pharisees, representatives of the nation and the national religious system, who had just witnessed or helped remove a man from its system. The shepherd in this proverb pictures Jesus. So this whole passage of 10, 1 through 21 is really a a conversation of Jesus as the shepherd. And he applies that a little bit differently in in different spots, in different sections. The shepherd in this proverb pictures Jesus and he speaks of coming to his flock within the fold. And like we said, later in verse 16, he says there are sheep not of this fold, which would be likely be Gentile believers or non-Jewish believers. This also means that you probably it's probably been done. It's been done a number of times before where this fold has been referred to as heaven or referred to as the church that doesn't fit the context And it doesn't fit the meaning of the parable. Now, the shepherds would come and get their sheep. Well, shepherds, when they would come to get their fold, they would come the proper way. They wouldn't be trying to jump the wall. They would come to the gatekeeper, who would recognize them, and open the pen. The shepherd, who has rights as owner of the sheep, comes and forms his flock from the mixed sheep that's within the fold. Each shepherd would have a distinct call that his sheep would recognize and respond to. Some shepherds would have such an intimate knowledge of their sheep that they would give them or some of them names. The sheep would recognize the voice of their shepherd, the one who cares for them, the one who protects them and leads to water and to grazing fields. So Jesus comes to, comes to Israel for his flock because as the true shepherd, he had the right. And he came in the right way. The Old Testament prophecies pointed to Jesus and to no one else. Born of a virgin, Isaiah seven, uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, the title to David's throne through his legal father Joseph, Matthew one one to sixteen, born in Bethlehem of Judah, Micah five two. It's possible that in the parable here, the gatekeeper, the doorkeeper, might be John the Baptist, but that's a. Not solid on that (laughs) because the gatekeeper would have oversight of the flock until the shepherd came and then admitted him to the fold. John officially introduced Jesus to the nation. So there's a possibility there. I'm not going to go too hard on that, but there's a possibility that in this parable of Jesus is the shepherd coming to Israel to collect his flock. John may have been the gatekeeper. Now, when Jesus comes to the nation, not all the people recognized him as Messiah. While most of the people would have spoken allegiance to the religious system, to Judaism, they were not all of the spiritual flock to God. Some were truly Awaiting for Israel's redemption and joyfully received Jesus. Just a few Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, Mary, and Joseph. In the immediate context, the blind man was one. He heard the call of the shepherd and responded. Backing up again to John 9, beginning in verse 35, John heard, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He heard the call of the shepherd, and he responded. Now, strangers can come and try to call the sheep, but the only one the sheep respond to is their shepherd. True believers recognize the truth of God's word and follow while rejecting error and false teaching. No true believer, no true disciple, one truly saved will ever completely or finally turn from Jesus Christ. John taught in his first epistle, 1 John 4, 1 to 6. Jesus warned of false teachers and false Christs coming to mislead people, even if possible, the elect, Matthew 24, 24. And while the deception is possible, those that are truly saved, those that are Christ's, will never leave him to follow those that deny the truth. In a book called Building a Church of Small Groups, one of the authors, Bill Donahue, uh, relates a story that he, that he, uh, of a time when he was visiting a farm where two of his seminary students had lived. He was spending time with their father, and they, he asked him to help call in the sheep. Bill enthusiastically agreed. Sheep calling was like preaching, he thought, as he watched 25 sheep graze. Uh, the father, Tom, said, go ahead, he dared Bill. He said, call them in. Well, what do you say, Bill asked. I just say, hey, sheep, come in. Bill thought, "No sweat. A city kid with ba- with a bad back and hay fever could do this." <laughs> he began speaking, but Tom interrupted, "You're about 70 far, 75 yards away, downwind and they have their backs to you. Yell, Use your diaphragm like they teach you in preaching class." Bill took a deep breath, put every inch of his stomach muscle into the yell. That, would, that revival preachers around the world would have envied. He said, hey, sheep, come in. The blessed creatures didn't move. Not one even turned an ear. Tom smiled sarcastically. Do they teach you the Bible in that seminary? <laughs> have you ever read my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me? Raising his voice only slightly, he said, hey, sheep, come in, all 25 sheep turned and ambled toward Tom. Sheep recognize the shepherd. They don't recognize the stranger. They recognize the call of the shepherd, the word of the shepherd. They don't recognize, they ignore, they flee from the stranger John inserts in verse 6 just a, a, a note for the narrative and mentions that the Pharisees that Jesus were talk, was talking to didn't understand what this proverb, what this parable was about. Now the New King James uses the word illustration. The King James says parable. The ESV and New American Standard both render the word as figure of speech. Now parable is probably the better way to translate it. Proverb or illustration is okay. Um, I've used the word proverb a couple of times. This is not the word that is used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke for Jesus' parables. This word is only used about five times in the New Testament, four of which are in John, once in Second Peter, now, this word could refer to a proverb, a wise saying, uh, and, it, and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there is some use uh, of how they use this word with one of the Hebrew words, that, that proverb is, can be used here. Uh, but it also has this idea of parables. It's the idea of a hidden or obscure speech. So parables probably the best way to think of this. But the lesson of this parable, the ones that these Pharisees didn't get, is about how a shepherd forms his flock. While the audience of Jesus certainly understood the local sheep-shepherd relationship that Jesus described, the spiritual lesson was missed. People come to God, they come to Jesus because they are called verse 16 and verse 27 of chapter 10, Romans 8, 28 to 30. The proper response of those called is to follow Jesus. We see this throughout John, John 1, 43, 8, 12, 12, 26, 21, 19, and 22. The Pharisees in their blindness could not see that Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd of the flock. You can almost hear the sigh as we move into verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So in verses 7 and 10, we see the door of salvation. The door of salvation. Jesus began to develop the shepherd lesson another way and calls himself the door or gate of the sheep. Notice that it's not the door of the sheepfold. He is the door of the sheep. In verses 7 to 8, we see that this is the, this is, uh, he is the door of salvation into God's fold. Once a shepherd had separated his flock from the other sheep in the pen, he would lead them to pasture. When the shepherd would lead his flock some distance to a good good meadow to pasture in, He would maybe have to construct a temporary sheepfold, a simple fence that could be made with thorn bushes and limbs, which would be enough to keep the sheep together as the shepherd would often sleep with the flock. Often the shepherd would take his place at the entrance of this fence and be the door or the gate the sheep could go out to pasture or retreat to the temporary pen. In Jesus's metaphor, he is the door of the sheepfold by which the sheep enter the safety of God's fold and may go to enjoy the pasture of his blessings. As the shepherd is the only way in or out of this fold, so Jesus is the only way to God. God. The lost sinner must come to Jesus to be able to approach the Father and receive salvation. In verse eight, Jesus' statement about all who come before me or came before me are thieves and robbers. This doesn't include those true spiritual leaders of the nation. A few of them were actual shepherds. Moses, David, Solomon, Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, among others. He was referring to those leaders that did not care for the spiritual good of the nation, but only for themselves, and led the people astray, the false shepherds throughout Israel's history. These would be those wicked kings, the corrupt priests, the false prophets, and any number of pseudo-messiahs even the corrupt and power-hungry religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin. We won't take the time, but for background, I would recommend reading Jeremiah 23, 1-4, and Jeremiah twenty-five thirty-two 32-38, along with Ezekiel 34. But the true sheep of the Lord would not listen to these false shepherds, to these thieves and robbers. They would not be led astray. Remember what we talked about up in verses 4 and 5 they don't hear their voice. In verses 9 and 10, we see that salvation and life. There is an exclusive salvation here. John, or Jesus reiterates his metaphor from verse 7, and again in verse 9, refers to himself as the door, and adds a promise to it. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus promises eternal salvation through him alone. There are echoes here, foreshadowing, if you will, of John 14, 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another verse tells us, reminds us of this exclusivity in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to receive salvation. Jesus' death was the sacrificial atonement, taking the penalty for our sin, for your sin. His resurrection guarantees the promise and hope of eternal life with him. Salvation is available only through God's grace, through our, through your faith on Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. There is no other way. And whether you're 5, 12, 13, 65, 72, 92, there is no other way. Now, Jesus' statement here in verse 9 not only shows the exclusivity of salvation, but he promises blessings. Those that enter God's pasture through Jesus finds God's love and forgiveness and salvation. But they will also have free access to God's blessings and protection and will never need to fear, fear harm or danger. Jesus' flock will find daily provisions through pastoring by feeding in God's word and communing with him in prayer. Psalm 23, one to three, Ezekiel 34, 15. But all of this is in contrast to the thief. The thief, the false teacher, the false shepherd doesn't care about the flock. They care for themselves, feeding themselves, Jude 12, we just spent a month in Jude talking about false shepherds and false teachers. That was one of the ways he described them. They're feeding themselves. They don't care about, they don't care about the sheep. They don't care about building up the flock. The thief steals sheep to kill them and to destroy part of the flock. But Christ says he came to benefit the sheep, not to destroy like the thief. Jesus gives life that is overflowing, that is abundant. While the thief takes, Christ gives to the full. Jesus gives us, gives his sheep abundant spiritual and eternal life. John 5, 21, 6, 51 and 53 and 57. Romans 6, 4, Galatians 2, 20, Ephesians 2, 1 and 5 and Colossians two thirteen. Christ brings spiritual and eternal life, abundant spiritual and eternal life. Now, that word translated abundantly refers to going beyond what is necessary. And that matchless gift of eternal life greatly exceeds. All expectation. Think of John 4.10 where he, where, with the woman on the well with, uh, where he says, I will give you, you have river, uh, you come to me asking for living water and I will give you living water and you'll never thirst. And then in 7, chapter 7, verse 38, he says, anyone who comes to me will have living water flowing out of them. Christ is the shepherd, but he's also the door. He is the way to salvation. For those of us that are his sheep, we can have these, we have these blessings. We can turn to him. He leads us and gu- guides us and cares for us. But those sheep that have not answered to his call yet, Christ is the only way of salvation. Heed his call and follow. Let's close with a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reminder that you gave us here in your word. We thank you for the reminder of how exclusive salvation is. But the reminder of the goodness of Christ, and the, goodness of, and the goodness of God. I pray for those here that may not have yet accepted Christ as Savior. I pray that even through this message, the, the Spirit will be at work in their hearts and minds, that seeds will continue to be watered, that these seeds were not landing on, on hard ground but they land on good ground and take root. So Father, we thank you so much for the salvation that you have given us. We thank you that Christ came, even as we celebrated this time of the year of Christ's coming, coming and stepping into, stepping into time, stepping into history as a baby in the manger that would be the lamb slain on the cross. Without Christ coming, without the manger, there is no cross and there is no salvation. So we thank you for the reminders that we have even through this passage today. And Father, we ask that you help prepare our hearts now as we move towards our time around the Lord's table. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior the shepherd Jesus Christ. Amen.